What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 248 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for uh, Tuesday, April 14th, 438. Tuesday? Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I said I got the April 14th part right, and it started with a T. Thursday, <laughs> 438 p.m. East Coast time, 138 p.m. Pacific Coast time. Is that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we have the time zones figured out after six more than six years. You know what? Uh, what are we coming up in April, May, June? When did we start? We started the podcast in June of 2016, I want to say. I don't know the exact date, but we're coming up on what? Fucking, was it? 12? Yeah, we've been, we've been at this a long time. Six years, something like that? No, something like that. I mean, I bet if you go back and listen to the first few episodes, our voices are a little bit higher, a little bit higher pitched. <laughs> we were younger men back then, back in those days. Anyway, um, I'm I'm Josh, and this is my co-host Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good, doing fine. Uh, got the day off. Got another day off tomorrow. Got Easter off, so I've had a fair amount of days off this week. Um, uh, it seems like uh, going through another management uh, shift at Michael's. We've cycled through like what seems like. A million managers at this point. Um, this one seems pretty promising, though. It's an older gal who doesn't take any shit. It's been there, done that. She was actually coerced out of retirement to to come and take over. Wow. Uh, she was a, a a district manager. It seems like at Target for like decades. So she's she definitely knows what the what the fuck she's doing. And I already made a good first first impression with her so far, so uh, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, I already know I'm getting more hours with her doing the schedule than the last manager I had. I, I think the last manager didn't like me. I don't know what her problem is. I barely even saw her. I barely even uh, chatted with her or had any sort of connection with her at all. I just showed up, did my job, and did it as well as I normally do, but I mean, when you schedule somebody one day out of the week on the last day that you're uh, uh, doing the schedule, it, it kind of seems like there's a little bit of like a fuck you sort of thing to that. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck this guy. Fuck Mike. Which is fucked up I'm because you know, the stores, uh, it's the stores, you know, based on your namesake, so... <laughs> Maybe that's why she hated she hated working at Michael's so much that she was just like, "Fuck Mike too." <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. So other than that, you know, things are things are fine. Uh, except for the weather over here in Vancouver, Washington, has been fucking wild this week. We had we had snow in like the middle of April, wow. like a couple days ago, and then we had like hail yesterday. And there was like heavy rain, and then it would like go away, and then the sun would come out for a little bit. It would just peek out and just just say hi, and then it would just leave, and then it would hail again. Jeez, it's just it's yeah, it, it's it's crazy right now. I mean, the snow was so bad. Like we got like what is like three inches of snow or something, or maybe more than that. Like more snow than we got in winter, and. My backyard is just full of like massive tree limbs now because they fell 
in 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 our backyard because the the snow was just so heavy and wet that it just caused all these tree branches to fall all over the place broke a fence that we just got put up like a few months ago so the fence has to get <laughs> repaired the new fence is not new anymore it's now damaged so it has to get fixed well, it's like when yeah. you buy a new car, you know, people, tr- they, they try the, their hardest to, like, keep it ding-free and scratch-free and all that. And I, I don't even, I don't even, like, really think about it because it's like, bro, you, the car is going to get, some jackass is going to back into you in the parking lot. Someone's yeah. going to open their door really hard and you're, I mean, it's just going to happen. You're, Someone's got some, uh, you know, lazy bones is going to leave their uh, cart yeah. in the parking lot. I love the. Yeah. I also love those people who have like who drive really nice cars who drop who like park out in the middle of nowhere in the parking lot because they don't they don't want anyone else to park next to them and lest they scratch their fancy car. It's like you you're so fucking like that is an extra added layer of anxiety that I do not yeah. need in my life. Those so. are the kind of people though that are magnets for assholes who like to keep people's cars. Yes, <laughs> like yes. they would just be like oh. All right, that's the car I'm going to key today. Yes. <laughs> if somebody keyed my fucking Hyundai Elantra, I'd be like, okay, whatever. It still drives and the AC still works. You know, like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, in Florida, you, you definitely need that. Like, that. that's like the priority. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, it's starting to get hot. The AC has to work. Yeah, it's definitely starting to get... Starting to get to where uh, when I leave the doors open to my house, it's not like a comfortable breeze. It's, uh, yeah. okay, it's getting kind of fucking hot in here. I need to close the door and turn yeah. on the AC. Uh, it reminds me of a, of a story I might have told before, but my, my mom and my stepdad, they would uh, drive truck together, and they went to Florida, and the AC wasn't working in the, in the, in the truck, and they were like over there for like a week. They came home. They were like unbelievably pissed off, <laughs> like the kind of like almost psychotic uh, anger, and like it was so bad they were just at each other's throats the moment they came to the house. Uh, it actually led to I think one of them stayed in a hotel. Oh my or something. gosh! Yeah, it, it was it was it was rough. It was bad. They were really, really pissed off. But it's because they were in a hot truck for a fucking week in Florida. Yeah. In the middle of the summer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even if you have the windows rolled down, if it's like, you know, summertime, like, unless you're on the highway going like 80 miles an hour with the windows rolled down, then, then it's kind of a, a, a neutralizing breeze. But pretty much any other situation, you're like, it, yeah, it's it doesn't really help that much. Thankfully, I you know, because like for the first what ten ish years that I was driving, uh, maybe not ten, but a solid like six or seven years that I was driving on the road, like all my cars were fucking hand me downs, and none of them had AC. They literally oh, all of the I don't know why that was the first thing to fucking go in these cars. None of them had AC, and then the last hand-me-down i acquired was this green truck that had ac for about three months and then that stopped working (laughs) and it's like son of a bitch so did you have these hand-me-downs when you were writing the josh flower diaries uh yeah yeah uh my first that that might explain some of uh your your uh anger as well (laughs) or just always fucking 
roasting. Oh, I'm 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 born and raised here. I'm used to the heat, but yeah, it definitely did explain my swamp ass. That's one thing it explained. <laughs> yeah, my first vehicle I ever had was a Chevy S10 pickup truck, which is like the smallest uh, pickup that they make. And uh, I, you know, I'm not I'm not a truck person. You know, I'm I'm not uh-huh. I'm not. Uh, that's not really my person personality. You know, living in Florida, you would think. But uh, I mean. So, like, driving around in this stupid little pickup truck, it was just like, well, it's a means of conveyance. That's all I can say about it. Uh, so, yeah, it was nice finally being able to buy a new car, you know, years ago. And uh, everything was fucking new and everything worked and all that jazz. And that was uh, that was pretty fucking cool. And I paid it. It's paid off as of last year. I So no more car payments, which is a great feeling for anyone nice. who has ever paid off a vehicle. That is a huge monthly expense that is off your shoulders. All right, you ready to talk about this fucking uh, show, The Keepers? Yeah, speaking of uh, stuff to get off our shoulders, uh, uh, we're going to finally uh, end our discussion of The Keepers. Man, I tell you what, this was uh, this was a whopper of a Patreon request. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I will say this, after seeing the whole series, uh, I thought it was okay. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's bad. I, I think it was definitely worth at least one watch. But there's a lot of filler, like a lot of typical Netflix shows at the time. And uh, some episodes are definitely stronger than others. And the one we're going to start out with is episode five, which uh, details uh, some suspects uh, for the murder of Kathy. And I would say other than like episode two, I think this is the other really strong episode for me. Like I, I for the most part, I I really liked episode five. Uh, Mike is fresh off of watching this show. I have not seen this show in like probably a month. Is when I finished watching it. Um, so some of the details might be a little bit fuzzier okay. for me. All right. So uh, episode five, like I said, it details the suspects. So it starts out like. It interviews some people who knew these potential suspects. So you have two different versions of a very similar sounding story, which amounts to, I think, my uncle killed Sister Kathy. The first niece in question is Debbie Young. Her uncle, Edgar Davidson, was an erratic and combustible guy. To hear her Aunt Margaret tell it, uh, Edgar came home with a bloody shirt and a questionable alibi on the night of November 7th, 1969, the same night that Sister Kathy disappeared. Days later, when Kathy's disappearance first made the news, Margaret recalls Edgar's reaction, rocking back in his chair, smirking, talking about how she'll probably be buried in the snow by the time they find her. Like, what a fucking troll. (laughs) Like, seriously. I mean, that would just raise like numerous red flags if if uh, that was somebody that I was in a relationship with. Just off the cuff, you know, <laughs> uh, they'll never find, they won't find her. You know, though she'll probably be buried in the snow by the time they find her. I mean, you'd be like, uh, wow, dude. That was, that was oddly specific. <laughs> exactly. So uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Edgar got new tires for their car, supposedly for the winter, but may- maybe also to change the car's incriminating tire tracks. It- it- there are a lot of suspicious stuff there. The whole uh, 
smirking, talking about uh, how she'll be buried in the snow by the time they find her. He's got a bloody shirt. Oh, I got in a fight with my boss. That's why. That's what. That's why he said uh, he uh, had a bloody shirt is because he got in a fight with this boss. Uh, Must have been some fight. Do, do Do you think he got fired after that fight? Because I mean, I mean, if you if you come to blows with your boss to where like it, it results in you having like a bloody shirt, I, I would I would like to think that you would be unemployed at that point. Maybe back then uh, things were different. I don't know. Hey, you're really pissing me off. How you're uh, changing them tires? You know what? Let's take this out back. And they just like take their shirts off and square off, and then you know they ha- they they you know break each other's noses and then after that it's like all right all right that's 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 fine you know everything's back to normal but it was like a fight over hours i think so like especially if that happened now like you wouldn't have that job you'd be terminated from that job and you'd probably have that on your record and you'd probably also get uh an assault charge thrown at you by the boss yeah And uh, Margaret also talked about how they didn't really have a lot of money. So for him to just out of the blue be like, "I'm we're I'm getting new tires," that that's that's that was pretty sus- suspicious for her. Uh, then there's more shady details. Kathy disappeared after buying an engagement present for her sister, but the present was never found. But that Christmas, Edgar got Margaret a a piece of jewelry, a necklace with a green rhinestone. She could tell it was never intended for her after burying it in the in a corner of her jewelry box for years because it's not her birthstone. It's not even his birthstone. But it was the yeah. victi- the the original victim whose name I'm already forgetting. Yeah, it was Kathy's husband's birthstone. Yeah. No, Kathy's sister's husband birthstone. My bad. So, uh, she passed it on to Debbie, who now just wants to return it to the person that it was intended for, which is, uh, Kathy's sister, who gets, uh, I think she gets introduced later on in another episode, I think. Then you have Sharon Schmidt, who has a similar story. She distinctly remembers overhearing an argument between her parents in which her dad said, you want to know why I drink? Because we killed a woman and put her behind the shop. Like, that one is like, okay, (laughs) Like, Sharon Schmidt in particular, like, her story uh, and uh, also the, the the confession, not really confession, but the interview that her brother gave, that one really makes me think that her uncle definitely had something to do with this. Yeah. Uh, Kathy's body was, in fact, discovered near the Schmidt family business. Uh, dumping her there would have required specific knowledge of the area. Whether Sharon's father was involved in the killing or just helped her uncle Billy dispose of the body, he too came home with a bloody shirt that night, but no visible injuries. And afterwards, he became a very heavy drinker. His uh, his uh, wife was talking about how he was like a really like great guy, like the biggest catch. And then after that, he was just not the same person at all. Murdering someone will do that to you, or just helping cover up a murder, just seeing the body, yeah. knowing that you were uh, involved. In, involved. 
So, uh, like Maskell, Billy Schmidt is dead now, so his ultimate culpability in Caffey's murder might, might remain a mystery forever. I don't know about that. Like, it just seems... Like, like, when you hear the, the interview with uh, the brother, like, it seems like it, there's just a lot of corroborating st- stuff involving Billy. And not just that. I mean, he had a fucking uh, nun's habit, like a whole nun outfit in his attic. Oh yeah, that was that was actually kind of disturbing in the reenactment when like yeah they they like show the outfit yeah. on on a mannequin or whatever yeah and, it's creepy and he's talking about oh she's up there and all that and then the they woman show in the attic yeah she's after me yeah that was creepy because obviously so, you know it 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 haunted you know haunted him you know because like oh yeah it, it it's like it's one thing to like have to like kill someone in war because they're like your enemy and they are a target and they're not they they, they, i don't even think they call them like you know i think they call i mean that could that could still be haunting though for a different reason but to kill like a fucking nun you know (laughs) who like has done nothing to you i mean yeah i I think any sane human being would uh be forever like fucked up from that it's one of like even if you're not sane i don't think billy was the most sane individual that would well there's a difference between being sane and being like mentally um coherent like i think this guy was mentally very slow oh yeah but i think he was sane um but like yeah i mean shit one of my biggest fears is like accidentally like hitting someone like while cuz there's like people like on these certain streets out where i live and they just they, run out in front of you yeah right? they're just a little too fucking brave they act as though a car will not hurt them uh-huh. if if uh-huh. if they get hit by it and they just saunter into the fucking lane oh. where people it's like you fucking idiot like you were literally taking your life into my hands thankfully wow I'm, that I'm a, sounds familiar <laughs> yeah, th- thankfully I'm a good driver and I've I've saved or many lives by how I drive because if I wasn't paying attention or if I drove how some of these people drove, I would have fucking hit the person and they probably would have nope. gotten seriously injured or died. And it's like that's my biggest fear because it would be a, a total accident, yeah. but I'd still have to live with that, you know. I, I often kind of wonder like what kind of uh, a damage psychologically I might have done to the driver that hit me. I've never met the driver. I I never saw the driver in person. Was so there any I'm kind of like insurance of, thing that went on with that? Did you get any money? There was insurance. There was insurance. Like I might be able to figure out a name if I find the documents. But um, you should like reach out to them. That, and yeah, be like, something that something that kind of popped in my head when you 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 brought that up because it's like that had to be really traumatic for them. Yeah. Well, I. I'm sure. I think they let them know if the person dies, yeah. and yeah. obviously you didn't die, so maybe maybe they're like, "Well, this sucks," but at least they're not dead. Exactly. Yeah. So it probably wouldn't be as severe of trauma. But anyway, um, Billy Schmidt, he's dead, but uh, that leads to a lack of clear answers. Uh, but it's clear that the unanswered questions inflicted deep wounds on himself and his family. Billy, who already had to deal with the problems of being a closeted homosexual man, 
in the atmosphere of uh, the late '60s in Baltimore, Shit, as well as in the '70s. Part. Yeah, he was he was he was uh, gay. Uh, he spent years after Caffey's death screaming about the woman in the attic, and then he committed suicide not long after. And uh, Sharon's brother, Brian, was haunted by Caffey's murder, too, because six months before he died of a heart attack. Like, this is also a really bummer uh, series in multiple ways, because there's so many people that passed away during the creation of this documentary series. Well, they were all old as shit. Some of them weren't that old. Like, Brian wasn't that old. That's, I mean, that was, that was kind of my thing going into this, like, series is like we're literally talking about something that happened like you know 60 years ago at least and it's just like you know I it's still fucked up and it should definitely you know but it's like is man, it that long ago 60 well, it happened in like what 1969 yeah so 70 to 2050 to 53 years ago yeah 53 years ago so it's like you know multiple decades it's like a very very cold case and most of these people are so gonna be so fucking old which they were and i mean old people in general there was there was still something very tragic about it though because you know there were some people who just never really got to see justice served for you know their loved ones yeah and and that sucks i just wish they had like started making moves on this in the 80s instead of 2017. But then there's other stuff like with Mike uh, Wenner, who uh, was the husband of of the Jane Doe. Um, He didn't really know about any of this until his wife came forward in the 90s. So that was really, that was really sad. But anyway, uh, that's just the kind of thing that happens with these kind of series. Like, you're, there's going to be a lot of like sad depths and sadness, and just all kinds of fucked up revelations. So, uh, Sharon's brother Brian, he was haunted by Caffey's murders too because he told researcher Alan Horn that he had a distinctive memory of Uncle Bobby keeping him occupied as a small child, while Billy and his mysterious friend Skippy. I love the guy's name, Skippy. That's a great name for the late 60s, early 70s. I know, but I'm just thinking like this just creepy, just it seems like a psycho with a mustache who dresses up as a nun. His name's Skippy. That's a fantastic, I mean, that's the the best nicknames are the ironic ones. A big old fat guy and his name's Tiny, you know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that's how you, it's a a psychopath that likes to kill nuns. His name's Skippy. I think it's kind of hilarious, (laughs) really, if you think about it, (laughs) like fucking, uh, you know, I don't know what uh, Gacy's clown name was, but I hopefully it was something like Mr. Giggles or something. As Brian told Horn, this is a child's memory in an old man's body, so we thought nothing of it at the time, only to later realize it was probably Sister Caffey's body. Uh, tragically, Brian never breathed a word of it to his sister, who, unbeknownst to him, was also suffering from unresolved questions about their family's involvement in Caffey's murder. Sharon says that learning about this only after Brian's death was hard to take. It's the latest example in, in in the show of a person being shoved face-to-face with an unspeakable trauma at a young age 
And instead of providing a support system, their community just forced them to repress that damage until it poisoned or killed them. Yeah, that's a sad, tragic reality as well. Of this whole, like, just repress it, just bury it. Don't talk about it. Move on. The show doesn't draw a direct connection between Brian's heart attack and the built-up pressure keeping such stress inside him for decades, but Jean just has such a tragic found formulation about her late husband, Mike. Um, there was also some stuff that was mentioned about how Billy, he had an apartment, I believe, that was like really close to where Sister Kathy was staying. Yeah, it was like the same building, wasn't it? It was the same building. And uh, there was also some, I think somebody was saying something about Skippy possibly being uh, there in the apartment and so on. I think it might have been the one where Brian was recounting it, where he was saying, you know, stay in the, the apartment, like go back in there. Cause like he was hearing something seemed like there might be some sort of confrontation or whatever. And so his uncle was like, go back in the, in the other apartment. So in Jean's words, uh, Mike swallowed a lot of anger over the years, standing by her side through her traumatic confrontations with the church often meant keeping his mouth shut. After years of swallowing that anger for her sake, Mike died of esophageal cancer in May of 2007. Uh, there are some beautiful shots of Jean sitting alone on a park bench as she recounts her memories of her rock. Um, yeah, that that was that was rough. Definitely, you could tell that the the two of them really genuinely loved one another. They were together for like 30 years. And it had to be really rough on her, too, because, like she said, you know, Mike was her rock. Like, she was struggling with so much and having all these memories just coming to her, like, out of the blue and struggling with uh, her own sanity and with people believing what she's saying. And he was there for her all the way to the end. Uh... Gemma gets a call from Kathy's sister, Marilyn. They set up an in-person meeting. Uh, Gemma can't believe how much Marilyn's voice sounds like Kathy's. After she hangs up the phone, she just cries. Because I guess it's still just a, a lot of those memories of Kathy just came flooding to her, I guess, at that point. Uh... The episode does leave you with a couple leads, though. There's Marilyn, who might be able to provide some much-needed information about the necklace. And then there's Egger. And they pretty much leave uh, leave things on a cliffhanger with Egger for episode six. Uh, Skippy, that was an interesting one uh, when they were mentioning that guy, especially the story, I think, from... Um, I don't know if it was Margaret. I think it was the sister of, of um, Billy. I think it was Billy's sister It was talking about. It might have been Margaret, though. They were driving on the road, and they saw that there was this car that was following them. And she tried to, like, get away from it, but it just kept, like, coming. And then, like, it drove alongside her, and she saw some guy dressed as a nun with a mustache. Smiling. Creepy. Like, just that image, is it is. It's very, very creepy. Of this, like, fucking creeper with, with a mustache. Wearing a nun's habit. Outfit. Yeah, he's wearing a nun's outfit. I thought you said nun's habit. That is an actual term for nun. Really? Yeah. A, ha- nun. a habit? Yeah. 
Oh, that's... I think it's I think it's the thing that they wear in their on their head. I think. How the hell did you I... know that, Mike? It's probably because I watched Sister Act when I when I was growing up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that term. All right. <laughs> um. Yeah, it was Sharon's mom. That's who it was. Uh, um. But there's no name or current description of Skippy, so nobody knows where he is. He just skipped away. Yep. And then we get to episode six. Uh, episode this is where, six. This is where the series takes another downslide in quality because it's just not as consistently engaging as episode five. This is the one where the reporter just... He realized that he didn't have enough screen time, <laughs> so he just decided to just take over at some point throughout the episode and, and start Making uh, pointing up the finger at Koob. Yeah. When it, when he started doing that, that's when I like at first I was like, all right, this is some this is some old school journalist guy who's like been on the beat for all these years and he seems to have his shit together even though his basement was kind of like a hoarder's paradise, but his attic, yeah. yeah oh yeah, attic. Yeah. Um neither one of those do we have in Florida. Um so yeah, like but then when he like turns on one of the fr- good friends of Sister Kathy, and 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 who is still like anytime they interview this Coop guy, he still seems like you know pretty upset about the fact that she's you know was taken away and all that, and 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 when the reporter guy starts like pointing the finger at him, you know, I think he knows a lot more than what he's saying. It's like, all right, dude, you just you just lost me. Like you're just yeah. literally doing like a who done it. Or, uh-huh. or like maybe Netflix is like, hey, you know, we need to stretch this out for as long as possible. So can you just like pull something out of your ass? And I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but yeah. So yeah, episode six. But apparently web. he's not the only one because there are a lot of people who have said, I, I guess they don't trust Coob and and think he just comes across as disingenuous. I think they're just talking about the story that he tells about the investigator. And they think that that's just nonsense, which I find interesting because you you will accept and believe anything any of these other victims are saying, which is understandable. But when Koob is talking about something that was traumatic for him, oh, that's too outlandish. That's too ridiculous. I, I you know, I don't well, buy that. <laughs> I do got to say, I don't know if I fully believe that the uh, detective threw Sister Kathy's disembodied vagina on the table i know i know it's hard to believe but at the same time what does he gain by making that up yeah and i mean you know police will will you know they'll officially in an official capacity they they will deny everything if if, if being interviewed they're if not something gonna, like that happened, they're not going to admit that. That's not going to... Yeah. Well, yes, back in those days, uh, if we suspected somebody of murder of a woman, we would actually remove their vagina and throw it at them <laughs> in the <laughs> investigation room as a way to, you know, make it a reality for them of what they did. And, it, and it's like, yeah, no, they're not going to say that. So anyway... Um, Edgar is, uh, well, okay, so, fulfilling the promise of last episode's cliffhanger, episode six starts off with an interview with the most likely living suspect for Kathy Sesnick's murder, Edgar Davison. This guy is a few light bulbs short of uh, a light bulb store. I couldn't think of a good analogy. (laughs) 
Ed- uh, he definitely uh, isn't as sharp as he once was. Uh, age has definitely took away a lot of his uh, faculties. But at the same time, the way that he's reacting to these questions, the way that he's looking at you know the the necklace and some of these other things, he just has all the body language of somebody who is like just lying or just trying to to not uh, reveal uh, the the uh, the truth in that way like it's just a lot of very avoid uh, uh, evasive kind of behavior like not having a lot of eye contact fidgeting he'll be like talking and and coming up with an answer and then his hands will be like moving around all over his face and it, it just it just seemed like a, a guy who definitely knew more than he was letting on yeah i mean i I he definitely gave off those vibes, but then it's like, how much of that do we chalk up to him just being senile? Yeah, I mean, he 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 answered in a very unsure, senile kind of way with a lot of the things that were being asked of him. There was kind of a, there was kind of a, you know, I don't know what what these people want me to say because I honestly don't. I don't know. I don't remember. Or or maybe he is cunningly hide. You know. Anyway, we'll get into it. Edgar is old now with brushy gray hair and heart and a hard to understand voice. He's still quote with it more than Masco was in his later years. However, Edgar recognizes a picture of Kathy Sesnick. For instance, he says that's Kathy. Though he's a little less receptive to a picture of Maskell, saying he never actually met him. Ultimately, Edgar basically denies culpability for the crime. He confirms he said those incriminating things to his wife and called into a popular 1976 radio show to say that he knew someone with Kathy's rosary. Yeah, that was another uh, bit of evidence, I think, that was dropped in the last episode. Uh, that one is, is really interesting. He just admits it, but it's like, okay, why? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Why did you do that, man? Like, I don't under. And when he was, and when they asked him that, and he says he was young and stupid, but offers little more than that. He says he wasn't involved in the actual murder at all and uh, has no idea who was. You know, there's a possibility that he does know, but he just doesn't remember. Yeah. Because, he, like you said, he's senile. He just does, the, the memory's no longer there. Debbie had warned us last episode that Edgar's something of a trickster who likes to play with people like a cat playing with a mouse. I don't know about that. That was an assumption by Debbie. I yeah. I don't really He doesn't buy he doesn't that. strike me as uh the trickster type. He doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't seem he, yeah. like he's he doesn't seem like he's mentally capable enough at this point to Although he might have played pranks though. So and, I mean unless he was like fucking Keezer Sozy at the end of uh the usual suspects, yeah. where he just like straightens his leg and starts walking normal. I mean, I don't, unless he does something like that, <laughs> and he like he gets at like the the camera people leave. He's like, finally, those pesky buggers left my house. Of course, I killed her. Now let me go to my you know fucking swing dance lessons. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so uh, who knows if he's telling the truth or not? Either way, it's all we're getting from him for now. Not every murder suspect is going to pull a Robert Durst and just confess to everything on tape. The search for suspects now turns to friendlier corners. In focusing so much on Maskell, 
the Keepers has not yet had time to look at the people who were close to Kathy. And boy, there are a lot to look at there. First is Jerry Koob. Remember him? He was trying to be a priest at the same time Kathy was training to be a nun, and they fell in love. Jerry even proposed marriage at one point, only for Kathy to turn it down and insist they stay on their chosen paths. He He seemed like a good guy the few times we've seen him up until now, but now we're hearing about a potential other side. Investigative reporter Tom Nugent comes out as a big Koob skeptic and swears as uh, swears a detective on the case once told him, quote, if Koob didn't kill her, who he knows who did. As it turns out, Jerry's alibi is kind of shaky. His story like, of- I don't know how shaky it really is, because it really just comes down to uh, one uh, little thing about like some particular uh, point where Jerry said uh, he started from with a friend of his to drive to go to mass, I think. And where they waited for, uh, uh, Kathy. And it's different than what, um, what, uh, his friend might've said in terms of where he started from. Keep in mind, these are older men. There is a 100% chance. It's very, likely that their memories might be a little uh shaky and no one's gonna have like 100 percent like accuracy like all the time when it comes to stuff that happened so long ago i mean that's why you have stuff where people uh that's where the the mandela effect sort of comes from is where people they've told themselves a certain thing happened the way that it did or existed for so long that they believe it and so when you ask them about it they're like yeah yeah i saw that uh sinbad genie movie that shit st- that shit still trips me out man because i could have fucking sworn <laughs> <laughs> i could have sworn that 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 was a thing but yeah that that was that was the one that fucked me up the most but the whole uh avgn episode on the baron steen bears yeah like, that threw me off too because i thought it was spelled that way <laughs> no see i see that's how i knew it was bullshit because we always called it the baron steen bears growing up yeah. because i guess my mom knew how to read unlike james rolf <laughs> um so that it's that, okay that didn't uh that one didn't throw me for a loop but uh yeah anyway um, so anyway coob's alibi uh the night kathy disappears has always been the same he says he went out that night with his friend, brother Pete McKeon. They got dinner and saw Easy Rider, then headed back to Baltimore once they got a call from Kathy's roommate, sister Russell Phillips. As Jerry says, quote, Pete was my alibi and I was his. Nugent found a hole in the story, though. Nugent, in his colorful phrasing, recommends that everything Jerry s- says uh, he takes with a gigantic boulder of salt. Wow. Like that was him just trying to be the star of the show. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like let me have let me let me get that sound bite moment, you know. So, as if proving his point, Jerry tells a story a story so colorful it seems obviously fake. He says into the camera that while he was being interrogated by the police, oh yeah, dude, this this is what me and Mike were talking about earlier. Yeah. But while he was being interrogated by the police over Kathy's murder, one detective threw Kathy's vagina on the table in front of him, wrapped in newspaper. 
Both John Barnold of Baltimore City Police and Gary Childs of County refute the story. Barnold says he would never have allowed such tactics under his watch and that Coop's story sounds more like a dream. While but at Childs- the same time, yeah, the child says it's a little out there. But here's the thing, like, if something like that did happen, like, it's not always going to be something that the the rest of the department is going to find out about. Like, not everyone's going to talk. And especially if he doesn't come forward about it, then then nothing's really going to come from it. Is so it? this whole stuff that happens later on with these, you know, police guys, well, that never would have happened. Like, it could have happened, but you never really knew about it. Like, there's probably a lot of stuff that happens behind closed doors in these interrogation rooms. There's a bunch of uh, uh, stories on Unsolved Mysteries where the police do something fucked up and, you know, like, according to the person that went through it, and then everyone in the, the or, you know, some representative for the department's like, we we would we would have never done that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? Come on national television and be like, yeah, he's right. That happened. You know, it's like, no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I yeah, I understand people being skeptical of the story. <laughs> I am still somewhat skeptical of it myself, but I don't see what Jerry has to gain by sharing something like that on camera. It says if, if it's Jer- a lie. If Jerry is lying or exaggerating this story as he obviously seems to be, what else could he be lying about? I don't think it's obvious. That's what I think is just really kind of aggravating. Is that it's like, oh, that's obviously yeah, a well, lie. The, the, they're editorializing a, a little bit. Yeah. Here. Yeah. But, In order you know. to find out, the team tries reaching out to Pete McKeon, but like Edgar, Pete is getting on in years and his memory is probably unreliable. To guard against that, he recites the same story he's been telling police for decades. Movie, dinner, call, back to Baltimore. So we don't get anything new. The sheer amount of time that has passed in this investigation means that even promising threads often hit a dead end or fade into nothing, with the principals either dead or forgetful. Take Sister Russell, for example. Bud Romer once told Nugent that Russell had, quote, the key to unlock this whole thing, but unfortunately, Kathy's friend never told anyone what she knew, not even Patricia Gilner, who temporary, temporarily took over Kathy's room with her, another secret gone to the grave. Having grown up Catholic, I often laugh at jokes like John Mulaney's humorous description of the Irish Catholic attitude towards... Lo- okay, I don't need to read that. Um, blah, 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 blah. Then they talk about a former cop. Yeah, one former... Yeah, one former cop claims that Maskell was arrested at one point. Uh, he could have only gotten out of that one via protection from both church and state. In one of the most dramatic confrontations of the episode, filmmaker Ryan White presents former DA Sharon May with a list of 50 abusive priests published by the Baltimore Archdiocese in 2002. Only one name on that list was found guilty of sex crimes, and he pleaded guilty. May has nothing to say to this, of course, just more nonsense about how, quote, the evidence wasn't there, and there's no way to double-check because all the evidence related to Maskell has been destroyed. One yeah, I bi- think Maskell, uh, you know, I've always had this impression. I think Maskell's abuse was rampant. It was so rampant that the Catholic Church just destroyed evidence, just did everything that they could to, to you know, bury it. To put it under the rug so people aren't going to be able to dig and find it later and connect them to uh, what Maskell did. 
because think about it. He was he was moved continually, multiple times, not just from uh, the the one school he started off in for like a year, and then uh, an eight year old boy was abused, and his mom went to the archdiocese and was like, "Hey, my eight year old, you know, my boy is being." I don't think he was eight. He was he was in eighth. Was he was he eight or was he in eighth? He said eight or nine. He's being abused by this priest. And then they're like, okay, we're going to move him to Archbishop's Keo. And then after Keo, he was moved to somewhere else. This guy's being moved around all the time. This fits the, the, the parameters for all these other convicted or at least alleged sex abusers in the Catholic Church, where they just get moved from church to church to church. If they were not doing anything wrong, why were they continually moved around? Yeah, that's what that, that that's like that's like the the de facto slap on the wrist that seems to happen to Catholic priests that are abused children. They just get moved. Yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of fucking shit. You know, yeah, give me a new crop of uh kids to, you know, abuse. It's so fucked up because because they didn't do anything when he started the abuse. The abuse just got worse. He went to Archbishop Keo and like got even more power and influence and oh wow he's got more power and influence now oh now he's going to abuse even more yeah one of the big takeaways from this show just as it takes a village to raise a child it also takes a village to abuse a child and protect the abuser yep and in this case the village is the catholic church Luckily, in addition to all the investigative details in this episode, we also get a look at the people trying to overcome the damage of repression. Kathy's sister Marilyn, for example, kept quiet about the case for a long time so as to not upset her parents, though she always carried Kathy's memory with her. Now, Abby and Gemma's question or quest has shed some light on some things for her. Uh, she didn't even know about the Maskell connection until recently and connected her with the necklace Kathy intended for her. The green birthstone, in fact, appears to reference the August birthday of Marilyn's husband, Bob. Now, we don't know 100% for sure that that necklace was actually the the same necklace, because there isn't any actual evidence that Kathy purchased anything before she died. She could have done it with cash, and that might not be a record that's available anymore. So a lot of this is just kind of uh, trying to throw a connection in there. It seems it seems plausible, but we don't have anything concrete that right. really says 100% that was something that Kathy bought for her sister. This episode ends by proving Jean right. One of her biggest disputes with police came from her claim that Maskell showed her Kathy's maggot-covered corpse which mm-hmm. cops always insisted was impossible because it was the winter, too cold for maggots to breed outside. But when Gemma finally gets a hold of the autopsy report, courtesy of Maryland, she finds proof that there were maggots in Kathy's mouth and throat. Jean was right. She was likely right about other things, too. And then there's, like, the other stuff about, uh, I guess, uh, uh, Kathy's sister, um, her mother, I guess, had kept all these records and everything. Uh, of uh, Kathy's murder and investigation, and and apparently, I think according to Gene or somebody, they were or, or the investigators, they were saying like for some reason they didn't keep 
a lot of this stuff. Like we don't have a lot of uh, the documentation that's like available when it comes to this case. And I'm like, well, I, I, I get what they're, where they're coming from, but like what extra bits of information are you really going to get from old articles? I'm, I'm just saying like, that, that seemed like a little, like, yeah, like that's not really going to be as helpful. It's probably all the same stuff that you already know now because of your other uh, bits of research. But it was nice to see the that Gene's story was was confirmed because there were maggots. Like, the, the autopsy guy actually, there was maggots. Yeah, because I feel like the detail was, like, it was only 60 degrees outside or something like that. I don't know. They were, like, they were saying that it was, uh, it was I think it was, like, 57, and then it, like, kept going up. It kept going up uh, continually. So it was warm enough yeah. the, during that time frame where maggots could, could be there. And that makes sense, because I'm like, why the hell would the cops be like, oh, it's winter. There's no maggots. I'm like, come on. Weather is, is so unpredictable. I, I, I fucking snow in April. Like, I, like you, you're cops. You got, you at least have a decent mental faculty, right? I would think. Like you could automatically, I just, I just find it kind of ridiculous where they're just like, oh no, there's no way, no maggots in the winter, not even, not even one hundred percent possible, impossible, improbable. It's like weather is is not something that is just the same. It's not a constant. It's always always has a lot of variation. So it it was always kind of ridiculous to me that they would just buff that off. Yeah. So episode seven is a conclusion. And not much. Not much of one, I should say. Spoiler no, alert. To be honest, uh, th- there is a little extra bit of information that's thrown in there. Another uh, abuse victim. That's uh, kind uh, of a cur- kind of a curveball, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. So the episode seven starts off uh, with uh, another victim of Maskell's abuse, a man named Charles Franz. Uh, this is a man who like he was struggling with alcohol and drug abuse for years. I think he said that he was. It took him nine years to to recover, to to get sober. Can you imagine that nine years? Yeah, I can imagine it as someone who's a, a semi-alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, do you think you're going to take that long if you uh, had to get off the wagon? Uh, I would I would hope it wouldn't take that long. Um, it, pretty much as long as I'm a karaoke DJ, I'm going to have a problem with that, I think. <laughs> You're just like, this is how I drink away this is how, this the is memories. How I co- of, this is how I cope. This is how I cope with off-key singers and... Who are uh, loud off-key singers. It's, yeah, and, be... and people that don't know who sang uh, Take On Me. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, I posted on Facebook, but uh, people wouldn't really know this unless they were friends with me on there. So, like, I have these little pieces of paper. It's got a space for your name, artist, and song title. And they wanted to sing that song, Take On Me by AHA. But under the artist, they put, uh-oh. 
Because I guess in their drunken brain, it's like, oh, what's it, who does that song take? I, I don't know, that, that group, uh-oh, yeah, I'll do that. So, <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was And uh, my guess is the 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 singing of, of Take On Me was brutal, right? Uh, Pretty bad. At, at that particular gig, I have so many fucking singers that, like, <laughs> I, ne- I never even got to that person, sadly. Oh. Because I, I, know, I know it probably would have been magnificent. Magnificently terrible. Yes. Um, so you have Charles Franz, and he talks about his recollections of abuse. Uh, in addition to the physical and sexual abuse, uh, Masco also introduced Charles to alcohol and drugs as a way to forget the pain. So Masco was abusing this boy in so many different ways. Like he was abusing him sexually, mentally, physically. But then he was also making him abuse alcohol at a young age and letting him know that it's okay to abuse alcohol like this because this is how you you forget pain. So no wonder it took him so long to become sober because at a young age he, where you were more impressionable than you might be later on in your life, he was introduced to alcohol and these other vices and someone that he trusted and someone that he looked up to was telling him this is this is what you do i'm gonna go on a limb and say father maskell wasn't wasn't much of a christian oh i feel or yeah no not much of a catholic just like uh charles says uh, you know father maskell i don't i don't even want to call him father yeah no no he doesn't uh he hasn't. He, he, it's not a very fucker. <laughs> fucker yeah. mascot. Fucker. Fucker masshole. <laughs> that that almost sounds like I'm saying fucker asshole. Anyway. Oh God. Uh, 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 there's nothing wrong with the with the you know the 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 butt loving if it's consent between two consenting adults. Anyway, that that took a fucking lowbrow twist, which you yeah. know our po- our podcast is not known for being lowbrow. I mean, it's very highbrow typically. <laughs> so that was really out of character for me. I'm sorry. Um, that was all so, very deep sarcasm, by the way. So uh, Masco introduced Charles to alcohol and drugs as a way to forget the pain. Like he even did a whole thing where he's like, "Hey, I got some leftover wine here." We don't yeah, want it commu- to go to waste. Leftover communion wine, you know, help, you know, don't, yeah, don't, don't <laughs> waste it. And the kid just chugs it. He would, he would like continually take this kid out of school and just take him to, uh, um, I don't think it's, re- I don't think the rectory is the right word, but he would take him to essentially his home and he would abuse him there. So Masco was abusing uh, Charles in 1967, two years before Caffey's death. Before Masco was transferred from St. Clement Church to Archbishop Keogh. Charles puts it bluntly, if the Catholic Church had dealt with this properly in 67, there would be no murder. We wouldn't be here. And he's right. He's 100% right. I mean, this is this is the same thing uh, as like the Spotlight case uh, and all these other... Uh, instances of abuse in the catholic church if they just did something about it right then and there from the first uh uh accusations that came forward 
then there wouldn't be any more abuse. There wouldn't be any more uh, people's lives that are shattered. But for some reason, the Catholic Church just was like, ah, fuck you. Like, you know, you got fucked. We don't really care. We care more about our image. And it, and it's just like, it's so upsetting to me. Like, that that whole, the whole cover-up, the, how they keep doing it, the way that they they re answered the questions in written form at the end of this episode, it just makes my blood boil. It makes it's my, just like it makes my piss sizzle. Yeah, it, it's just one of those things where you're just like, what the fuck? Why are you still doing this? Like, this is already something that's connected with the church. You can't bury it anymore. You can't deny it. You can't do that anymore. Just fucking do the right thing. And don't do like settlements. And and then and there was somebody who pointed out like the ridiculousness of the the organization that ultimately led to the abuse and the abuse continuing is also going to be the savior for these abuse victims. Right. And we're supposed to have separation of church and state, but in this instance we don't because uh, the statute of limitations can be extended, but it's continually never put into vote in in uh, Baltimore, like in Maryland. Because if they do, like, oh no, like the Catholic Church, uh, they'll be in trouble. They're already in trouble. Like when you talk to a lot of people on the street, when you talked about the Catholic Church who aren't Catholic, who don't really. They're going to bring up this stuff. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, the Keepers or Spotlight or the Boston, Massachusetts case. All these other instances of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't really have much else to say about it. You know, why do they keep burying their head in the sand? Who knows? You know, it's it's it, it. It's it's the. There's like a systematic problem in the Catholic Church with this shit, and it's like, I just don't understand how in like the 21st century with like people being canceled for just the smallest things or or, or small I mean, in yeah, comparison I mean, to this. Smith slapped Chris Rock, and yeah, it was fucked up. You shouldn't have done that. But they're kind of canceling him, taking all his movies off streaming and all that stuff. But you have yeah, something like this. And like, oh, no, you know, the Catholic Church, the Archdiocese said this, so we're just going to take them on their word. Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I just, I just don't know how, like, the Catholic Church as a whole hasn't just gotten canceled. It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, it's like, okay, we know not all of you are this way, but enough, uh, enough of this shit has happened to where... Uh, you know, it, it's just be- best that we just cancel the the religion. Uh, you know, or, I mean, or not, make some sweeping fucking yeah, changes. Yeah, make some sweeping changes. That's the thing. Like, it, and it starts at the top. It one hundred percent starts at the top. So uh, up until now, we've heard some horrifying things in this show: rape, murder, betrayal, repression. The finale is dedicated on spooling the Catholic Church's role in these events. The ongoing complicity in repressing the victims of clergy abuse and the cooperation protection they receive from the government in doing so. Uh, Which is really uh, another fucked up thing to throw in there. Like the protection they get from the government. 
and from the state. So you have some final notes on the Cessnick case. Edgar Davidson continues to deny his involvement. Doesn't really have an answer on why he was in possession of the necklace. Just doesn't generally seem like anybody's going to get anything out of him. Yeah, because like Josh was saying, he's pretty probably pretty senile at this point. There are still some leads, though. Barbara Schmidt notes that her brother-in-law, Billy Schmidt, used to smoke Salem cigarettes. Apparently, the police did find cigarettes at the scene. Uh, and I think they did have some DNA evidence from the cigarettes. Uh, when director uh, Ryan White mentions this to Gary Childs, a Baltimore County detective, he confirms it with a laugh that they did collect the cigarettes. Um, he declines to comment on a lot of the other stuff about the investigation. He does talk about that he hopes that uh, the case can still be cracked. Uh, there was another thing. Uh, Kathy's sister, she got a letter. It was a, a letter or a card. It was postmarked after uh, Kathy disappeared. And she remembers giving it to some plainclothes detective. At least she assumed that it was a plainclothes detective. And the the police know about it but they don't have the letter the letter has just disappeared like it, it still has yet to be found which i find that that to be really interesting i i don't think there probably would be a lot of stuff from that letter but i i, I would like to see that letter be found though i mean it was postmarked after she disappeared so how how does that how did that happen yeah, I don't know. That was that was weird. Also, at the same time, was the plainclothes guy that she gave the letter to was that actually a police officer? Like, what what's stopping the Catholic Church at this point to have some guy just act like he's a, a cop and be like, "Oh, thank you," and then dispose of the evidence? <laughs> Ain't no telling, Mike. So, uh, the Malecki family, unfortunately, does not share the 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 confidence in their own case. Uh, this is where the Malecki family is, is once again, finally, after so many episodes, brought in, in into uh, the series. And uh, they're talking about how the case was given to the FBI, but then... The FBI said, no, we actually weren't one, the ones investigating it. We gave the case to this other local uh, investigator in Maryland. Uh, but then the the uh, researchers, they went and talked to them. And the, the, uh, the local uh, state authorities, they're like, we never investigated that case. And then... That led to the the two women contacting the FBI, and they just kept sending the FBI these letters, and they're and they're asking for the evidence, the Malecki evidence. Uh, the FBI says there's like four thousand pages of evidence, and so they asked for it because of the Freedom of Information Act, and the FBI to this day has not released that information. Like they kept sending them letters and emails. Oh, we're working on it. Oh, this is the estimated date when you're gonna get it. The they never got it. 
at the time of the documentary's uh, release, it was it had been like three years since the request. They didn't get anything. Because apparently the FBI can get away with sitting on evidence and just not send it. Because illegally they're allowed to. They don't have a uh, deadline for sending uh, evidence to people. There's no like concrete deadline. They just sit on it until the people die and no longer ask for it anymore. And then that's it. Pretty fucking easy way to hide shit. <laughs> to not, you know, provide it, you know, despite there being the Freedom of Information Act. Seems like the Freedom of Information Act is kind of fucking pointless. If you provide them with that much of a wide, uh, uh, I don't know, leash is the long leash. If you provide them with a, pretty much no leash, that's like, that's just having a dog run around no leash. And then saying, oh, there is a leash, but I, we're, we're just not going to use it. <laughs> yeah. I've, ca I've cashed out mentally on this show. It's I, okay. I, I've it's got fine. No it's I've got fine. nothing else to say about it. <laughs> so, uh, there's a seven-year statute of limitations on sex crimes. That's when they bring in these other people who are speaking up and talking about their experiences. There's a Maryland State Assembly Assemblyman named C.T. Wilson who's trying to introduce this bill. And you really do feel for these victims. And it's really fucked up that they are essentially just told to fuck off by the state every time they try to bring this bill up. You'll have, like, the Catholic Church lawyer come up and be like, oh, you know, I think it's in their best interest. It's like, who the fuck are you to talk about these people's best interests? <laughs> Basically talking about how these victims, like, they should have come forward earlier. It's their fault. It's like, this is... That's just bullshit to me. You can extend the statute of limitations. And I don't think that's a problem at all. Because I mean, it's like that. That's just kind of how it works, right? I mean, every case we've ever seen, it's like it takes like the one, the, the first brave person to like speak out, and then everyone else feels more comfortable to start speaking yeah. out. I mean, that's, that's why just, it should be. It should be extended, especially with sex sex crimes in particular because we this is a repeated uh thing that keeps happening to this day is that you have these victims with repressed memories or people that just haven't spoken up about it until someone else speaks up and most of the time when they speak up it's not within 7 years from what we've been noticing so it just makes logical sense to me that they should extend it. I don't see how it really does anything to hurt the Catholic Church. In the long run, it, it, yeah, you already have all these cases, and you already have this disturbing connotation with the church, but that's already there. This would help healing. This would help people have a, a tiny sliver of appreciation or respect for what you're trying to do for these victims. Instead of just continually blocking these bills or just doing all this shady shit that just makes people even more suspicious of you. Right. And even more untrustworthy. So one of the lawyers was even the same guy who grilled Teresa and Jean when they tried to sue the church over their abuse. Uh, and yeah, that guy's a dick. <laughs> 
What a dickhole. Uh, I know I'm not being, uh, uh, but politically correct isn't the right word. I'm being rather... Uh, crass. Crass. But when it comes to these kind of people, yeah, fuck it. They don't deserve, a, you know, respectful descriptions. <laughs> uh... The church, apparently, they know that the, the law will be passed. Apparently, though, the, there was a third attempt at the bill, and it did succeed recently. It succeeded oh, uh, like a few years ago or something. So it did succeed, which is good. So after the... Probably after the Keepers came out on Netflix and it was like talked about everywhere, then then that's when Congress or that's when the state was like, oh, we gotta pass this now. I mean... <laughs> Man, it seems like getting a show on a popular streaming service is uh, the only way to make shit happen anymore. It seems like every time that happens, you know, shit changes. Yeah. Th- or, things, or, get, things get looked into yeah. that were swept under the rug. Or stuff that gets leaked to the press. Like, um, I watched an episode of last week tonight. I was talking about, I think it was, I think it was data brokers. And there was something that came out that... Uh, there was a security, there, there was some issue with security where their information in Congress could be released and something like that. And then Congress like jumped right then and there to create another bill that passed to protect themselves. <laughs> like as soon as that happened, it was like, oh shit, like we, we got to get ahead of this. <laughs> and so uh, John Oliver actually did something where he, he used these data uh, trackers or these data brokers to get all this data from uh, Congress, <laughs> and, and he and he was like, he essentially basically blackmailed them. He's like, you, you you need to do something about this, or you know, this might be a release to the public. And apparently, legally, he can get away with that because there um, are so many different gray areas when it comes to to uh, the law. But anyway, then you have the church; they are. Uh, interviewed in a written form the archdiocese is is asked about asked a few questions basically asked like when was the first uh abuse um by masco reported to the church and they didn't even do it on camera they didn't even provide audio interviews it was all written and it was very cold and it was just like no it was a lot of it was like Jane uh, Jane Werner, she was the first one to come forward. But there's Charles Franz, who is a corroborator. And it, it just... Jean sued the church in the 90s, and their argument was that she lacked corroboration for her claims. Like, there needed to be someone else saying that Masco abused students. And apparently the entire fucking time, the church knew about it. They already had a corroborator in Charles Franz. They knew about Charles. They just they just refused to fucking mention it to Gene. And uh, yeah, because Charles, he was abused. His mother went to, directly to the archdiocese. That's what had uh, Masco transferred from Charles's school to Archbishop Keogh. Uh, apparently, he got a call from uh, the uh, the bishop or like the head uh, priest at the school. And he basically said, uh, you're back on the baseball team. You're back on uh, the, the, the committee or whatever. Like, he just basically said, you're back on all these things uh, because Maskell is no longer here. 
because Maxwell was like punishing him and was taking him off the baseball team and and so on. And so, yeah, there's corroboration with Charles Franz when it comes to uh, Maskell abusing another victim prior to Gene. And then uh, Charles shares a story where in the 90s, when the trial was happening, he was asked, he was uh, uh, doing some work on, on someone uh, because he's a dentist. And he was working on someone and they're like, hey the archbishop is trying to get a hold of you. Like the archdiocese is trying to get a hold of you. And he sets up a meeting with them at his practice. And they basically talked to him for like two hours. And they were like, at the end of it, they were like, okay, do you want a new boat? Do you want a boat? And he's all like, uh, no, (laughs) I have, I have a boat already. I want uh, I, I want you to do the right thing. And they did not do the right thing. Of course they did. And then in these written answers to the written questions that uh, uh, the investigators provided to the archdiocese, they said that Gene was the first one to come forward. They didn't mention anything about Charles. They essentially denied that Charles really was abused at all. They deny that his mother went to the archdiocese and they essentially basically said that he was a liar and said that Jean was the only one that came forward and Jean's recollections of what happened are the only instances of of Maskell's abuse being brought to the Catholic Church. And I I love Jean's response. Jean's response to everything when she got the written answers, she was like, those fuckers. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, those fuckers. That was like, that was the perfect response to, to their bullshit written response to these questions. I mean, this is back in 2017 when this documentary came out. So this isn't like back in the day this isn't back in the 90s. This isn't back in the 70s or the 80s. This is like pretty close to, to modern day right now. And the Catholic Church is still just denying things when it comes to abuse. So, yeah. Um, All right. I, was I just- agree. all all good stuff what you were saying there mike okay i was just mentioning uh just finishing things off by talking about gene's response to the the arch to uh the archdiocese doubling down on the written responses where she's like those fuckers oh yeah and i like that yeah i I was so engaged with this topic that I actually went and took a piss because <laughs> I had to pee really bad. So, uh, yeah, well, you, could just, you could just say, you know, with that piss, you just took a piss on the Catholic Church and 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 uh, Father uh, Maskell. Probably not going to say that. Probably not going to say that. But I did take a piss nonetheless. <laughs> um, so is that about it for this uh, for this show? Yeah, I don't really have much else to say. Uh, there, there are some uh, extra bits of evidence. For instance, 
the Baltimore County Police uh, did uh, do some DNA testing. They tested a DNA sample uh, found at the murder scene, and they tested it uh, alongside DNA from Maskell. They found it was not a match. Damn. Um, the FBI has continued to not uh, reveal the documentation about uh, Joyce Malecki, uh, even to this day. Uh, I guess there was there's some reported reporting happening in Ireland, digging deeper into the time that Maskell spent there, additional to the time he spent in the United States. Uh, I guess it seems like there's potential that he might have continued his abuse in Ireland. Uh, that I guess Jerry Coob uh, did have a, a very, a, a much more uh, deep relationship with uh, Sister Kathy uh, because he actually did have a, a sexual relationship with her. Oh, that's naughty. Uh, the Catholic Church... Um, there's probably a lot of stuff where they just they've they still have refused to make a clear statement on jo- on Joseph Maskell, but they insist that they're doing everything they can to help the victims of abuse, which is just what they do to you know to to have the right amount of PR, you know, like oh we're doing everything we can, but in reality they're like we we aren't going to do anything. That's like whenever like something fucked up happens and some company or organization is involved. And they say something like, you know, we, we're, we're doing an investigation on the topic, you know, like currently. And it's like, really? Are you? What, what exactly are you doing? You know? What, what, exactly. What is this uh, investigation? Consist of? <laughs> I love how the Oscars said that they had to do an, they had to do an investigation on the like, Will Smith thing. Like, what are you investigating? <laughs> it's like, what are you investigating, bitch? It was like literally filmed in HD yeah. <laughs> for like millions of people to see. Well, let's let's face it. It's the Oscars for thousands of people to see. I don't. I don't really. No, think millions people are... of people did actually tune in. Apparently, because uh, as soon as that happened, it was like a "What's going to happen next?" kind of thing. Uh, the ratings jump. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's why professional wrestling is so popular. There's a lot of uh, drama. It's not as popular as it used to be. I can no. definitely say that. No, well, because it's it's just gotten, I don't know, like, but I think the time that, and this is what old people always say, the time that I watched it was when it was the best, uh, the from, like, 98 to, like, 2003. Yeah, the Attitude the, Era. Yeah, the Attitude but Era. But there are a lot of stuff in the Attitude Era that, I, I gotta be honest, is aged like milk. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. But it, it, it's, it's a part of just the edginess of, of the era that just right. made it so refreshing and made it entertaining in terms of like okay what the fuck are they going to do next like what line are they going to cross this week it's crazy how much more like homophobia and misogyny yeah. and all that it was crazy how much more acceptable yeah that was back then and no one yeah. even batted an eye not even the no. women like, because no. I think the women were like, well, this is the world I live in and I have to deal with it. You know, I don't have a choice. Like, uh, I think some of them, you know, made it took a stand. But, you know, there were a fair amount of them that you know, just went along with it. And that's something yeah. that just kind of pushed under the rug. Like nowadays, like, oh, no, it was just all men and all men being jerks and being 
misogynistic and it was all them and i'm like you know there's there's like a give and take thing when it comes to stuff like this i was actually watching uh there's this guy this new youtuber i found who like watches like the like mid 2000s era mtv shows Uh and like talks about them yeah and my god some of those shows like next yeah where like like four guys are in a bus and they're all trying to like a youtuber by the way his name is like Chris James or something. I'd have to I'd have to look it up and and get back to you on that I, one. But I don't think it's Drew Gooden. No, no, it's not him. I have I have seen his stuff. He's pretty good. But uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, the show next on MTV. It's basically like a dating elimination game. Like there's like three or four dudes. Yeah, they're all trying to win over this chick's heart you know she's usually young and sexy you know and all that and and the dudes are all these like dude bros who are all into like surfing and mm-hmm. you know sports and football and just like you know just your very stereotypical like hetero show like uh, of of that era you know yeah like before the word woke was ever used you know like before anyone even knew what that was and all that and you know as as much as the woke stuff gets on my nerves like certain aspects of it does get on my nerves i I gotta say I i guess i've progressed as a human being because as i'm sitting here watching this show these people are so cringy and they're so like piggish and like misogynistic and i'm just like jesus christ i'm glad that we've evolved somewhat as a society from that time period because it was like just pure cringe and they even had one guy on the show and i feel like this was a plant they had one guy on the show who they basically made him out to be the closeted gay guy like he like his it's it's almost like he was playing a character because he's like oh i love going shopping and i own over 50 you know t-shirt or shirts or whatever and uh-huh. um when he like walks up to the girl in the scene to like cuz i guess they're going to eat or whatever um she's like oh you know you're 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 a little overdressed he goes oh no way and he does that like wrist flip with his hand that stereotypically uh-huh. gay wrist flip yeah. thing he's like oh stop it and um he said something that, that she didn't like and she's like next and when they say that then the person has to like walk away or whatever yeah and and then like like off camera or like, they're interviewing her later and she literally goes he was more flame broiled than my burger or something like that <laughs> yeah and it's like i'm like cool homophobia was acceptable they're totally then, apparently. they're totally saying a lot of scripted stuff too oh yeah I mean, but still like you know like, and a lot of the, it's acting and yeah that's another reason what makes those shows so cringe to watch yeah like they had one called parental control yeah, or parental like control. Parents, yeah. I, I remember watching that show actually I watched all these shows. Like I didn't, I didn't enjoy it, but it was like the only one of the only things that was on. So I just watched it, and I don't know. I guess I was. I mean, you guys all all know who Teenage Josh is at this point from the Josh Flower Diaries. I was kind of a piece of shit, so I probably enjoyed the show on some level. Um, I probably uh-huh. didn't like any of the guys though, because I'm like, Ugh, I don't look like that, and you know, those are kind of guys that get. I was a complete incel, so you know, of course, I was hating on the Chads. And the Brads and, and the whatever, <laughs> But, um, yeah. yeah, like, the 
parental control show or whatever, like, dude, the parents on this one episode, their dialogue, like, Jesus, they were horrible actors. And, yeah. like, the whole thing was an act, because, like, the whole thing is, is like, the the parents are picking the boyfriend for the girl because the current boyfriend that the girl has, the parents disapprove uh-huh. of. And the the boyfriend that the girl had currently was so over the top jackass that it's like this is so clearly scripted and it's supposed and it's sold being sold as a reality show like mm-hmm. this is comically cringy and awful like ugh is it MTV. Curtis Connor? What do you mean? Is that uh, who you're... no? Hmm. No, hold on. Let me fucking. I'll find it. <laughs> I just subscribed to him recently. Um. And it's rare that I like find a new YouTuber that I'm like, oh, I actually like this. I, li- I like con- uh, Chris-, Chris James. Oh, okay. I'll send you the link on Spotify or uh, no Spotify. <laughs> I'll send you the link on Spotify. I'll be the first person to ever do that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Archbishop Keo, they're closing their doors as well. Um, that is another. But they mentioned that in the show, I think. They mentioned that the, the school was closing. Yeah. Are you circling back to the Keepers, Mike? I thought we were out of this, <laughs> these woods. They're just still like, I guess there's some unknown boxes of evidence. I'm just flipping through this thing. Uh, James Maskell had an uncle. Apparently had a lot of power, too. Um, I guess Sharon May had a husband that used to be a state cop. So that you know, he might be involved with the 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 uh, the cover up. The mysterious brother Bob. We still don't know who it is. Uh, some people think it might be Ed, uh, but now some people are speculating that Father Robert Flaherty is brother Bob. Uh, Robert Flaherty was accused in a separate sex abuse scandal. Uh, but it's possible that Flaherty and Maskell had some deeper connection at the time that it's simply been overlooked. But that's just a theory. So that's really uh, yeah, that's I, it. I think we're 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 done. Finally, I uh, couldn't care less to hear to talk about this case <laughs> any any longer. Uh, again, no disrespect <laughs> to the victims or anything like that. Um, I just, you know, kind of circling back to what I said in part one at the beginning, I just thought the whole concept was ridiculous that, yes, this is a horrible thing that happened and it needs to be looked into, but for fuck's sake, it happened so long ago. There's no way. I I don't think there's no way you're going to get the people to be coherent enough and to recall, I, I mean, it. then people have died, yeah. and it's just like, what are I you, don't it's like, think really? it was necessarily something that was made really for solving the case. I think a lot of it was specifically to provide these abuse victims a platform to share their story and to share their pain. And I think that's really what The Keepers is more about than necessarily trying to solve the murder. It's more about being a, a platform for people to heal. I mean, the whole like kind of th- thing was based off of a Facebook group that was yeah. trying to solve. The it was, crime. it was, but 
the the meat of it is is to me it seems like the the more lasting sort of impression for me is is a platform for these victims. Well, I mean that was certainly the heart of the yeah, show. Yeah, it's the heart of the show. I, I, but like the the premise of the yeah. show was ridiculous. I, I don't know if ridiculous. Like, I don't know if it's the right word to use. It just maybe maybe not. That maybe that's not the right yeah. word. Okay, I won't say ridiculous. It was very implausible. The premise of the show that potentially we can f- get justice for yeah. Kathy. Sesnick. But but I think in some small way there was some justice that was provided. I don't think that bill would have been passed, for instance, if it wasn't for the keepers. So there was some justice in some capacity because of the. Why do I feel existing. like people? I I already feel people like judging my take right now. Like I have the wrong. I, this is just my personal feelings on it. I didn't enjoy the the show. I didn't enjoy watching it. I felt it was kind of boring at times. I felt it was kind of like overly like wordy. Yeah, like going into way more detail than what yeah, was needed there were, at other times. There were times. some details like uh, they, they would give you some details of the people that were interviewed. Like I have this many Yorkies, and here are my swords. It's like I, none of this has to do with anything. <laughs> Right, they left in B-roll when it just yeah. was, like, not But that's what needed. happens when they stretch things out. I agree with you. I mean, I, I ultimately, I liked the show more than you. I thought it was okay, but it's not something I ever want to watch again, not just because of the <laughs> subject matter, but because of the presentation. It's just stretched right. out the presentation way was, was too not. thin. There's not enough there for seven episodes. If this was an no. hour and a half or two hours, like we said in the first part, then then I think both of us would be like, I was really, that we might actually be like, I was good. But yeah. like, you know, oh, no. seven, if it was, yeah, if it was a tight hour and a half, two hours, then yeah, that'd be a whole different story. This is just a perfect example of, of taking a good concept and presenting it in a way that just, leaves the well leaves me i won't speak for everyone but left me in particular just being like oh god and it's like i don't know i don't know take take the fucking case of like gabby potito or whatever her name is and that her boyfriend who ended up murdering her or whatever like you know that happened what last year uh that that would have been an interesting documentary because well, even the ones that come out or that have been like uh, the Chris Watts and American Murder or whatever, like, you know, you have like, like these people are still young and alive and all the witnesses and all the people are still around. And it's you actually have like video footage of a lot of stuff that puts you more in the moment. I mean, you're talking about something that happened 53 years ago. People have died. Memories have gotten foggier. Like, I mean... Even the guy himself, Maskell, he's dead. He's not even alive anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about it just because he's not alive anymore, but it's just like, I, I don't know, man. It's like talking about a fucking case in the 40s, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. why? It's like my, my, I guess my passion for it is going to diminish the, the older the case gets, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, I don't know. 
But well, fucking some anyway, people will be like, oh, says the guy who watches Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> in terms of like old cases. But hey, I know. watch Unsolved Mysteries for the entertainment. <laughs> I don't, I don't watch it for because I'm trying to be a fucking dime chair, uh, dime chair, <laughs> or dime store. Or I got dime store and armchair. I'm not trying to be an armchair uh, detective like yeah. some people. Like a lot of people who like true crime podcasts, like they 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 kind of somewhat it, it, consider if, themselves. If you are one of those people, that's fine. We don't have any issues yeah. with anyone who's an armchair detective. I hate everybody who listens to our podcast, and <laughs> you all suck. That's what I'm trying to say. Of course, I'm finally just. Spitting it out. Of course, that's not what he's trying to say. Speaking of people who listen to our podcast, that transitions right into what we're going to end this podcast with. Uh, Josh uh, asked uh, the group for some questions. So we are here to provide some answers. Yes. In our Facebook group, by the way, if you want to be one of the lucky people that gets to ask a question, is uh, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Just go to Facebook and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And join the group and uh, have have some fun with us, you know, um, outside of the podcast, if you know what I mean. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, I don't know what that wink was. Um, first question comes from an Aussie, Robin Lewis. Josh, how is the possum? The possum is doing fantastic. The possum is has um, has replicated itself. Yeah, that, it, that's it has, that's what I, I've been hearing. It seems like there's more possums now. Yes, they they have various villas uh, that they stay at on my property. One is in the tree in front of my house. I've saw I've seen two up, of them up there uh-huh. previously. At one point, I thought one of them was stuck up in the tree because I'm like possums can't climb up a tree, can they? So I thought he was stuck, but then it turned out he wasn't. But um, yeah, my possums are fucking flourishing. Mike, how is your toe? <laughs> it's 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 the same it's been for years since the the surgery, so it's it's fine. <laughs> did did they have to put you under for the surgery? No. They took oh, a big okay. needle and jammed it into my toe a couple times and made it numb. But no, didn't have to put me under. So for those of you who might be new to the podcast, there was a point to where Mike talked about his um what was it? Like a It was a, an ingrown, ingrown toenail, toenail yeah. Mike talked about his ingrown toenail a, a comically large amount of times on the podcast <laughs> where it became like, you know, it, just an inside joke of like, Mike, how is your toe doing this yeah, week? Yeah, and yeah. even well well after his toe healed, people, inquiring minds still want to know. Well, it's because it happened twice, so that's another reason. <laughs> Both of my big toes got ingrown. One, I had to have the nail removed entirely, and the other one just did the cut off the side of it jesus christ yeah also would josh and mike consider uh doing segments from that show the like, extraordinary it's an australian tv show about like unexplained kind of stuff oh yeah so he gave us a usb drive that has i think episodes from one of those shows oh, okay. on there that we that we uh yeah we should we, we definitely should cover that sometime yeah i mean I think I watched a few bits of it just to get a feel mm-hmm. for it. It seemed seemed like a quality show, so I don't see why not. Uh, I'll take the ne- next one in a fight between two of the biggest uh, sex symbols of the 1950s and 60s. 
and co-stars of the film Airplane. This is from Zed, by the way. Who would win, Robert Stack or Leslie Nielsen? Uh, obviously, my money's on the Stack, man. Yeah, that's kind of a close contest. Uh, both of them... We got to figure out. We got to figure out the height of these men. First of all, how tall is <laughs> Leslie? Tall is Leslie Nielsen? Like both men, they were in good shape, relatively good shape. Leslie Nielsen is six foot one. Mm-hmm. Okay, how tall is Robert Stack? I actually would like to know this. Oh, Robert Stack was five eleven, so him and I could stand uh, eye to eye. Uh, he was. Uh, that's how tall I am. We were the same height. That's interesting. Okay, so Leslie Nielsen's got a little bit of height on stack. Um, that that really does matter um, in yeah, fights. Yeah, I um, think, but I think Robert Stack though, like Leslie Nielsen's in, it was in pretty good shape, but he wasn't really known for working out and doing a lot of that. I think from what I remember reading, like Robert Stack would, he was a swimmer. He did a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's so true. I, I think Robert Stack would probably have better stamina. And might be in a little bit better shape. So even though he's not uh, the same height, or doesn't have the height advantage, I think he might have the advantages in the other other ways. More, just more physically fit. Yeah. yeah. So that answers that one. I'm not saying that Leslie right. Nielsen is was not physically fit at all. I mean, he, he was pretty fit for for a man his age as well. But I, I'll give I'll uh, give I'll give it I'll I'll give a uh, stack the the slight edge there. Good thing you clarified that, Mike, because Leslie Nielsen's family could be listening to this and they could come <laughs> after you and be like, you saying our dad was a pussy? Of course I'm not. I love Leslie then Nielsen. Rob- then Robert Stack's son would emerge and be like, hey, you need to back the fuck off. My dad would have kicked Leslie Nielsen's ass. Perhaps I'll kick yours. Um, anyway. Uh, this next one's from Heidi. Uh, I would be interested to know from both, do you have a favorite movie soundtrack, and why are they your favorites? Oh, I do have some favorite movie soundtracks, but I'll let Mike go first. Uh, I would say, off the top of my head, I know some people might laugh, but my favorite film soundtrack is Top Gun. Yeah, I, I, I think I already knew that yeah, about you. I think I grew up uh, watching Top Gun a lot on VHS. I, I listened to my mom's cassette copy of the Top Gun soundtrack like over and over. So it is a bit of nostalgia, but at the same time, it's one of the soundtracks where I like all the songs on it, even the sappy songs. So yeah, uh, oh I was, shit, that's a, that's got some great songs. Doesn't that one have the Berlin song yes, "Take My Breath it's Away"? Got Take My Breath yeah. Away. It's got Danger Zone. By Kenny Loggins, playing with the boys of Kenny Loggins. It's got Mighty Wings by Cheap Trick. Um, that that uh, Rex Viper went went on to ruin. Yes. by doing Mighty yes. Wings and Hadoukens. God, <laughs> <laughs> I just 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 remembering the how badly he butchered that with his fucking vocals. Like God. Just hurts. The whole thing is just cringe city. Um, another soundtrack I really like is Over the Top, the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie. Uh, <laughs> that had... there was a Sylvester Stallone arm yes, wrestling movie. armed Over the Top. <laughs> That's got so- uh, a song called Over the Top by uh, That's Sammy so Hagar. So fucking eighties. It's by Sammy and Hagar. I bet you- 
Hagar did the theme, <laughs> did the main song for the soundtrack. He, I bet you fucking love that movie too, don't I you? I do. Mike? I really like um, Over the Top. <laughs> Why is there a movie about arm wrestling? It's it's a it's, why does that exist? It's a, it's a riot. It's it's a really fun, entertaining movie. Uh, so is it supposed to be like a comedy no, or it's, is it's, it like it's like a sports drama? There's this whole thing about oh a fight for the God. custody of his son. Yeah, and, and he has to go through an arm wrestling competition to win the custody of his yeah. son. Mike, dude, come on. That's that's that is that is comedy gold. It is. It's it's hilarious. But it's it's endearing and it's fun. It's fun to watch. Jesus, it's a total eighties classic to me. That is the most eighties ass concept <laughs> for a movie I've ever heard. Starring Sylvester Stallone, yeah. like it's like Rocky, but with with arm wrestling. Arm wrestling. God, it's got Just... a good soundtrack. Yeah, Sammy Hagar, uh, Asia did a song for it. Um, Asia, the quintessential soundtrack band of the of the eighties. Well, not really. They haven't really done a lot of. They didn't do a ton of soundtracks. They just did a lot of like. They were kind of a a band that like had one big album, did a couple more afterwards, but didn't really have the same success. I feel like I feel like Heat of the Moment should be in every eighties movie at some <laughs> point. Yeah, and then another one. Are, and now you find yourself in eighty two. <laughs> It was the heat of the moment, telling me what your heart meant. Yeah, I can't really hit that note right now. My throat's kind of raw. I've been talking for like so. Two hours. My favorite, some of my favorite movie soundtracks take place in the 1990s because I'm a, a, a 90s fanatic. Um, the uh 1994 david lynch film uh lost oh, highway okay that has uh, an amazing soundtrack uh you've got uh pretty much the first time rammstein was introduced to an american audience was via that soundtrack Speaking of rammstein, they had two... have you uh taken a I've look at their zigzag. new uh new track i've not seen the video but i've heard the uh-huh. song it's a, it's a, it's pretty good Pretty good. Not their best, but it's pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was it was all right. Um, I would say definitely check the the video out. Like you're talking about David Lynch, yeah, like that that's that's some pretty David Lynchian nightmare fuel that music video. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll all, check all it these out. people with like sagging skin and just botched plastic surgery, and it's all done with practical makeup effects too. Like the whole band is like completely transformed themselves in makeup. Yeah, they really like doing that in videos. Like, they had one video where they're all really fat, except the keyboard player. Mm-hmm. And then they had other where they're, like, these Vikings, and then others where they're, like, these safari explorers. I'm surprised that video didn't get them canceled. The video for Auslander. Yeah. Um, they're, did you see that video? Yeah, I think I've heard about it, yeah. Yeah, they go to, like, at this African country and basically, like, take over and impregnate the women, and then they leave and shit. Except for the keyboardist who stays behind maybe, and becomes the king. Maybe that's acceptable because of the context, possibly. Because maybe the song yeah, I don't itself know. is like about how this is like fucked up. And don't do this. Yeah. This is bad. I don't know. But anyway, Lost Highway. You had uh, Rammstein with Heiratemisch um, and the self-titled song Rammstein, 
which are great songs. Uh, then you had Smashing Pumpkins had a song called I on that soundtrack, which is the only way you can... Well, now you have Spotify, but, but for a while, that's the only way you could hear that song, and that's a really cool song. Um, Billy Corgan actually wrote the music for that for... Uh, he wrote it for Shaquille O'Neal when Shaquille O'Neal was attempting a rap career. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, but Shaquille didn't want to use the track, so Billy Corgan used it for himself, and he made this dark, goth, electro-pop song, which is really great. You have a couple Manson tracks on there that are okay. You have a lot of uh, interludes from Angelo Bertelli, uh-huh. who is an amazing song composer, great jazzy, kind of dark feels like i'm in a dirty jazz nightclub when i hear those cuts Uh you have uh trent reznor with some great tracks i want to say the perfect drug is on that album which why he never put that song on one of his albums i will never know because it's such a great nine inch nails song um and then you had david bowie's i'm deranged which which is my favorite david bowie song a really cool soundtrack um also you have the crow soundtrack is really good good for sure um that one had some great songs on there burn by the cure i think right yeah yeah let me see um the crow i have that one on on cd of course i also also uh, really like the soundtrack for ghostbusters because i grew up watching ghostbusters and another uh deep soundtrack cut is um streets of fire I really, I really like that soundtrack. Oh yeah, so I'm looking on the Crow soundtrack. You got "Darkness" by Rage Against mm-hmm. Machine. That that never made it onto one of their albums. That's got a really jazzy guitar solo in the middle by Tom Morello. You've got um, "Golgotha Tenement Blues" by Machines of Love and Grace, which is a really eerie kind of creepy song. "Color Me Once" by Violent Femmes. I mean, this is like everything. This is like every like the vibe. Of these songs is like everything I loved about the nineties, yeah. and same with um, fucking. Uh, Lost Did you Highway. like the movie? And then probably the Crow. I, not, I still haven't seen. You it. need to see <laughs> that because it, it does use uh, some of those songs in ways that are really good, especially Burn. And probably my favorite soundtrack, and it's it's yeah, another nineties one would be the Batman Forever soundtrack. Oh, see, I was gonna mention Forever and Batman and Robin. Because Batman and Robin, like I, that's another soundtrack I used to listen to a lot growing up, and the movie sucks. But Batman and Robin actually has some some good tracks on there. I like the I like the movie. I like it. Be if I want a cartoony (laughs) live action Batman movie, I'll put on the you know that one. Uh, Definitely not Batman Robin though. That one's just too. Well, that's what I was saying. I was I thought you were talking about Batman and Robin because I mentioned the Batman and Robin soundtrack. I used to oh no, Batman to Forever! One. Batman Forever! Uh, Hold me, kiss me, yes, kill me, throw me by U two. Great song. It's probably one of the only U two songs I like. Uh, it's just yeah. got this epic, uh, very. I, it's got this super epic Batman yeah. feel to the song. You almost feel like you're in Gotham City when you hear this song. Then you've got the the massive Kiss from a Rose yes. by Seal. I mean that 
that soundtrack probably sold millions of records yeah. based on that song alone. You have Mazzy Star, which was a you great also have uh, the 90s song, artist. I forgot the name of it, but it was the one that was in the scene when Jim Carrey, uh, the Riddler, Edward is trying to figure out what he's yes. going to be. Uh, Bad Days by Flaming yeah. Lips. When that scene, me and my brother rewound that scene over and over again because, cause like, just the you hate your boss at your job, yeah. but in your dreams you can blow his head yeah. off. Yeah. Uh, we just thought that that was the funniest line. We had never heard a song like anyone sing words like that in a song yeah. as we were kids. Then you had like uh, The Passenger by Michael Hutchins, mm-hmm. which was really good. Nobody Lives Without Love by Eddie Reader, which had a beautiful like vocal. That's just, just a great soundtrack. I just named three fan fucking tastic soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, actually, now I think about it, fucking Godzilla 1998 yeah. was a really good soundtrack. Yeah, that's, got a good, that's got a good soundtrack as well. But yeah, Batman and Robin had a good Smashing Pumpkins song on there. Um, the end is the oh, beginning. Yeah. The beginning is the end. Yes, that that that. Holy shit, that is like that is one of my favorite Smashing Pumpkins songs. That is such a good fucking song, and it was on that soundtrack. Yeah. How unfortunate yeah. that it, that's <laughs> such a good song. Man, again, I don't know. Like, I guess he's got these artists like sign some kind of fucking exclusivity deal or something. It's like, why do they make these great songs that they do not put on actual their albums? They only you only find it because like on the Conehead soundtrack, Red Hot Chili Peppers has that great song Soul to Squeeze. And it's only on that fucking Uh, soundtrack. uh, Offspring had a song they did for me, myself and Irene. That's only on that soundtrack as well. Yeah, uh, they did. They had one for Orange County too, called uh, "Defy You," which was a really wasn't good song, Offspring in Batman Forever too. Didn't they have a track in that? I, I might be thinking of some other soundtrack. Uh, no, not on Batman Forever. Um, man, the '90s ha- had some yeah. really good soundtracks. I, and I used to also, I admit it, I used to listen to the Space Jam soundtrack as well. Um, not as familiar with that one. <laughs> That's the one Dude, with R, R, R. Kelly's version of I Believe I Can Fly. Um, oh, Seal had Fly Like an Eagle on that soundtrack. Yeah. That's solid. Yeah. Oh, and then you, had, then you had the Quad City DJ Space yeah. Jam theme. I never realized how many fucking movie soundtracks I, I really like. That was a good question, Heidi. We got, that, that, we got a solid 15 minutes out of that one. <laughs> Next one is from Helen. What's your favorite TV memory? Like the first thing that you remember watching? If you could visit one paranormal location, what would it be? Mine would be the Winchester house. Uh, favorite TV memory. God, that's so long ago. Like it's mine it's would tough. be when I the first one that comes to mind is when I saw the because they only recorded a clip of the music video. It wasn't the entire music video, but it was a clip of the crash test dummy song. Mm, 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 mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's literally the name of the song. I hate that they named it that. Mm-hmm. Do you like that song? I I oh. loved that. I still I still like that song a lot, but I loved it. What, what do you kid, think of the Weird Al see, parody? Oh, I thought that was great too. I mean, you you literally have to know the context about. I mean, the song's called Headline yeah. News, so I mean. But yeah, I just remember seeing that video, and it was so dark and like cool yeah. and creepy, and the song itself was very minor key, yeah. and and I just I just remember seeing that as a kid and being like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, mine's actually. And, um, uh, I I don't I don't it's it's tough because there's a lot of things that I remember 
Uh, I remember, I would say one of the earliest things I can remember going back is I used to really like watching old Disney cartoons like Mickey Mouse and and uh, Pluto and Donald Duck, but like they would only air on the Disney Channel like after midnight, like really early in the the morning. Because it seemed like something they just put on there because like, oh, we don't have anything else. <laughs> just put on those old Disney cartoons at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I do remember actually sneaking out of bed and going into the den and watching old Disney cartoons. And, you know, when I, I should not have been. And I do distinctly remember my mom catching me one night. And she was like, what the hell are you like, what are you doing? Like, go to bed. Go to bed. It's like, but Mickey, go, no, go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. Uh, I also remember uh, watching Fox Kids. I used to watch like the Saturday morning block, like every weekend with like Spider-Man and all the superhero shows, X-Men and, and so on. Uh, and I also remember... Uh, catching bits and pieces of some horror films on TV because I, I, I was starting to get into some horror films but like my mom wouldn't let me watch them so it was just kind of like a forbidden fruit for me so I remember like watching Child's Play 3 on the sci-fi channel and like flipping to like Cartoon Network when I when I would think my mom would be coming in to check on me I'd be like oh no I'm just watching cartoons not watching a killer doll movie. <laughs> Shit, for me, it was like, no, I'm not watching porn. I'm watching C-SPAN. <laughs> and then the other one I remember that's burned in my memory, it was, was also on the Sci-Fi Channel, is uh, uh, Ticks. This movie about like giant killer ticks that has Seth Green in it, as well as uh, Alfonso Ribeiro. Uh, he's in the film oh. from, from oh. uh, Fresh Prince. I remember the uh-huh. image of this big tick with a syringe in its back just crawling around. And so that stuck in my head. And I still I still like that movie. That's a fun creature feature. And, of course, Unsolved Mysteries and Rescue 911. I remember every weekend I would go stay with my dad. And I would, go wa- I would watch Cops and America's Most Wanted and Mad TV. Like, we would stay up and we would watch the block of Cops. America's Most Wanted, and then Mad TV, and then um, so I also remember watching Mystery Science Theater three thousand with him. I remember distinctly uh, Squirm about like killer worms from like the seventies, and uh, Space Mutiny was Red Brown, and Red Brown's hilarious. Like I recommend anybody to watch some Red Brown movies because the guy is a laugh riot. For some reason, he's not the greatest actor. But he makes up for it with charisma and just pure hilarity because for some reason he will always just like start screaming at the top of his lungs randomly like a madman in most of his movies. And the way that he does it is just hilarious. Okay, balls. This is almost two hours of recording. Let's uh, wrap this bitch up. Uh, There's this. uh, Um, What about the paranormal location? Uh, shit. Paranormal location. Um, I I would like to visit Roswell someday. To be honest, just to, that's not paranormal. That's, well, I mean that's extraterrestrial. Yeah. Paranormal 
supernatural, unexplained. I don't know. Um, I mean, like if we're talking ghost shit, like um, I don't know what. Uh, I don't know. I don't really want to visit a paranormal <laughs> place. I I don't want to see that shit or experience it. I think it might be kind of cool to go visit the ha- Queen Mary. Have it attach itself to me. Oh, I mean, maybe yeah, maybe the Queen Mary. I don't know, man. I I don't want to. I don't want shit getting in my head or. Mm-hmm. Like fucking possessing my thoughts, or like you know, I don't want to feel weird vibes. Yeah. Like it would be fun to go to know. England and you know visit some of those castles. Yeah. All right. Our final question is from Dale, another Aussie. Any plans for you gentlemen to meet up in the future? Yeah, um, we could ask that every now and then. It just, and, uh, it just, I mean, I would love to you know meet up with uh, Josh or do stuff like that. It's just you know financial you know issues and, and time, time and, and shit uh and liter and literally like he mike could not live farther away from mm-hmm. me if he tried like we are diagonally like pretty much the farthest away yeah. from each other in the united states the only way you could be farther could away be. is if you're, we're in alaska or like Hawaii. yeah yeah so i don't know maybe you know i might my band some, might end I up over some there ideas of if I had the money, you know, going to Florida and, and going to some theme parks, but I just don't have the money right now. Had to pay a bunch of medical bills. One time. I owe the IRS, I owe the IRS $3,400. Really? You're yep, not paying your that's... taxes? No, I'm a 1099 worker. That means that the government doesn't get any of my money until the end of the year. Okay. So if you make, you know, however much, you know, however many thousands of dollars for 2021 and the government hasn't taxed any of it, Uh well, they're going to they're going to want their piece of the pie at the end of the the, uh, you know, for tax season. Like, that's why people in the entertainment industry or people who like get paid 1099s, they do not look forward to tax season. It is not a happy time for us. It's not like a, a W-2 or like a 1040 EZ where, you know, yeah, like the go- you know, your employer, year, yeah. yeah, your your employer has been taking money from you little by little every paycheck. And then at the end of the year, you get it all back. You know, no, that's not how it works for DJs. They pay you everything you make. They The employer takes nothing from you. And then at the end of the year, Uncle Sam is like, hey, where's my money, bitch? And I guess I just did really well in fucking 2021. Uh, so I'm pretty fucking depressed about that because I didn't see it coming at all. I literally did not see that it? coming. No, I'm going to have to put it on my uh, credit card and right. then pay it off as soon as possible. Right. Yeah, it sucks. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Fuck, this is two hours. Probably going to edit out some shit just for bre- you know brevity. Uh, you can already tell us where you can find the group. If you want to uh, make me suffer through more um, TV <laughs> shows, go to Patreon. And for um, five dollars uh, a month, you uh, can tell us what you want us to cover. For three a month, you get the show early. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you you get it the same time as everyone else. And then for one dollar, you get a, a virtual slap on the ass and a wink from me and a good game. Um, but no more series, no more entire series suggestions. Give me one episode or one thing, one 
45 minute, you know, expose, like, you know, vampires of the night on Fox that aired in 1996. Shit like that is is fun for us to talk about because it's easy to digest and easy to make fun of. Um, if you want to watch me and Mike separately, you could go subscribe to our YouTube channels. Mike's channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. Mike's a big movie guy. What was the last movie video? Uh, the did? last uh, review I recorded and uploaded is of a 1991 drama called Mortal Thoughts with Demi Moore and Bruce Willis. And that one, Bruce Willis plays a real son of a bitch. Like a, a abusive, drug-addled asshole. Uh, and then I also covered a bunch of other Bruce Willis movies, The Bonfire of the Vanities, talked about that infamous flop. A uh, film he starred in called In Country. That's kind of a cool title, though. Bonfire of the Vanities. Yeah. Like I always thought that was a really cool uh, like, title. The book for apparently something. is really good. The movie, not so much. Uh, In Country, a film about Vietnam vets. Good performance by Bruce Willis. Sunset, a film that he did that was just really weird. With uh, it's Bruce Willis month uh, yes. for you, right? Because of his yeah, mental condition. Yeah, he retired, and uh, I wanted to honor him this month. So I've been doing a bunch of uh, Bruce Willis reviews. I still got more uh, coming up, and then I also threw in Morbius because I did see that. I I hated that movie. That's the worst film I've seen this year. Uh, I would say, and I said it in the video, like the worst Marvel film that that I can think of that I can recall. Yeah, it's gotten generally very poor reviews from what I've seen. It deserves all of them. The film is fucking (laughs) trash. Sucks. God. Fucking Jared. It's like... Jared Leto just played the Joker. Why is he already playing like a different... Like character well, he's desperate in, in a superhero because, movie because like the Joker, the Suicide Squad it didn't do well, and that didn't lead to much for him. So he really likes comic books. So he's just trying to latch on to anything he, he can, and he sucked what in was this. The last good he movie. sucked in this was... too because he was just awkward. That and uh, the attempts to try to be funny were just cringe-inducing, and he just it seemed like he was just sleepwalking through the film. Did you you know his all all the hijinks about him and his yes. method acting, right? Yes. Yeah, that's insane. Like I think he also brought it into Morbius. I think he slept upside down or some shit or some oh my ridiculous God. nonsense. Jesus Christ, fucking method actors. Um all right, so that's Mike's uh, channel. Check that out. If you want to check out my channel and some of my band's music, you can go to youtube.com/dancingwithghosts. Um the last video I did, I've been slack ass as a motherfucker. I need to get a video uploaded, but I just not, have not had the time. Uh, last video I did was uh, me discussing. I forgot Weird Al, right? The Weird Al list. No, uh, I was um, asked to be on a oh, live yeah. stream. Some YouTuber found me and they liked my content and they wanted to interview me. So um, it's basically a little clip from that interview and in the title is why is it so hard to find good music nowadays? And I kind of go into why it's hard for me personally to find good music. Um, yeah. So, and then I also ranked weird Al's albums, the, the video before. And that, you've been doing which, some stuff, uh, for, you know, your band, like you've been doing these problematic song lyrics videos. Yeah. I've been TikTok. doing a lot more shorts. I actually really yeah, like those. Do- I, 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 
I thought those. I've, I'm thinking those are pretty funny. Pretty well yeah, done. Yeah, I mean they're 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 doing they're doing okay. Um, it, it's a lot of work, because it's like the amount of time it takes to set up uh for like a regular YouTube video. It takes exactly that same amount of time just to film a one minute fucking mm-hmm. video, and it just. It feels like fucking fast food, dude. It doesn't feel like I'm getting a real. It doesn't feel like I'm serving up a real meal to anyone. It feels like I'm serving them fast food, you know, like these quick little hits of stuff. I like doing the long form stuff a lot better, you know, where people who actually have attention spans can watch my videos. But it's easy to make the video, throw it on TikTok, and then throw it everywhere else on social media because it's like, you know, already done. So it's just quick filler content to. Gives my subscribers until I can come out with like a yeah, real long Yeah, I mean, it's video. quick, but it doesn't really, it, from what I've seen, it doesn't seem like the production values are low or, or you're just half-assing it. So I wanted to I, give I just, you credit for that. I've gotten so, <laughs> my standards have gotten so like built up over time. Like I just can't bring myself to do something that is like low quality. So even my TikToks are like lit professionally and are filmed well and all that and i try to get the sound good whenever i can and yeah so all right anyway guys uh i hope you enjoyed this long one uh back to talking about normal shit next podcast thank god um (laughs) deirdre this is no reflection on you this is no reflection on you i just happen to not like the show but that's okay we can all have our own opinions here. I'm glad I that you, you uh, made the request because then uh, it enabled me to finally see this show and see what all the hype and all the talk was about for myself. And, you know, I think there definitely were some things about it that I, I did like and I did take away from. But, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of, I got to be honest, it was a little bit of a rough watch, not just because of the subject matter, but just how stretched yeah. out everything was. All right, so anyway, until next time, talk to you guys later. Bye. See ya.